Hello, everyone. Oh, those are bright lights. Thanks, everyone, for coming today. So welcome. Uh, I know this reInvent is pretty awesome having this my fourth or the last. I've, I've been to everyone, and it's just awesome to see how much it's grown. So uh, my name is Aaron Newman. I'm the CEO of a company called CloudChecker that gives you visibility and control of what you have running uh, in AWS. So, and what I'm here today to talk about, though, is security in the cloud. Uh, what's changed? How do we rethink security in the cloud? How do we, how do we need to do things different than we used to do on-prem? When we had our data centers, there was a way to do security. As we're moving to the cloud, there's a lot of rethinking of that. You have to rethink how you're going to do that um, so that you do stay secure. I mean, one of the great parts that I'm actually starting to see is that people are starting to get security in the cloud. Uh, it used to be, the conversation used to be, is the cloud secure enough? We have actually finally moved away from that question, and now I'm starting to hear people talk about, well, the cloud is more secure, and, and it really is. I mean, and there's a couple things. That's not necessarily doing a lift and shift. You can't say whether it's more secure or not. It's probably the same, but as you rethink your things and redeploy things in a more cloud-centric way, you really get a lot of advantages, and the cloud actually becomes much more secure than our on-prem uh, on data. So um, today we're going to talk about well, let's uh, what to expect. So we're going to talk about this perspective as you move to the cloud. How am I going to rethink things? How am I going to approach security? Um, how am I going to change things like what it, intrusion detection, activity monitoring, vulnerability assessment? How do I do these things in the cloud? Very different. And then gain a better understanding. What are the tools that, are, are that AWS provides me to help me do this? So they give you a lot of tools. Um, and the question is, uh, what tools are you going to use? How are you going to use them? And that's really the secured, uh, shared security model we're going to talk about as well. So, um, we, again, we need to rethink it. You know, things like, what's my perimeter, right? It used to be in the old data center, I'd have a perimeter, and I could, I could scan it, I could verify that it was locked down. What is my perimeter in the cloud? You now have workloads that are running in this shared infrastructure. Your perimeter fundamentally changes, doesn't mean you don't care about your perimeter, it just means how you're going to define it, how you're going to understand it, how you're going to monitor it is very different. You're going to have to rethink these standard tools like vulnerability assessment, penetration tests, network scanning. How do I do those differently? Um, you know, and then focus not, not necessarily on, on just locking down your resources. I mean, it used to be they thought, thought, you thought about this, uh, you know, your, your perimeter was, the, was where you secured everything. Once somebody got inside there, then it was often referred to as a hard, crunchy outside and a soft, gooey inside. Once an attacker got inside, it became um, really the, the security was very low. So we want to rethink how we're doing that because we don't have this perimeter the same. We not, want to think about how am I going to secure assets, where they sit, how am I going to secure workloads, not necessarily how am I going to secure my entire infrastructure. So we really need to think about these things. I mean, in the data center, um, it was all about you'd set up infrastructure, physical infrastructure, you'd hired guards or you'd co-locate something, you'd have locks, physical locks, all of that. Um, you know, when you wanted to audit your, your security, you'd, you'd go uh, buy a tool and do, for instance, port scans, network scans. All of this has changed. You do a lot of uh, things like uh, sniffing packets. You'd be sitting there in the network because you own the network. You could see what's going across it. These are all the things we do in the data center. They don't work today, right? You can't sniff packets. It's, it's very tricky to sniff packets in the network. You don't have a port. Uh, uh, you don't have a... Uh, a span port you could just stick a device into and listen to, to for attacks anymore. You now have to think about how am I going to do this a little differently. So, so what's different? This idea of physical security. Physical security has really morphed, 
and now you have this virtualized AWS. You know, the AWS API is really the same as physical security. In the old world, you'd buy a hard drive, it gets shipped to you, you'd install it somewhere. Today, the same thing is just calling an Amazon API that creates an EBS volume. Right, so um, that means we still have to lock that down. We have to figure out how we're going to secure it. But this, I, the, these these concepts are important. Things are ephemeral in the cloud; they're auto scaling. And how am I going to manage that differently than uh, than in the old world? In the old world, the security guy would say, "Give me a list of what you of your servers, and I'll go check the security of those." Right? If you have ephemeral workloads that are getting spun up and down, how does that change? How are you going to give a list to your to your auditor to go, your security auditor to go check it out. So, um, you know, we're going to see this slide all over the place. The the shared security model, uh, where you're getting a lot of the security responsibility taken away from you. You don't have to worry about, you know, disposing of hard drives. You don't have to worry about putting a guard with a, uh, you know, with and monitoring systems and and all that in place. AWS takes takes a lot of that responsibility off of you. They have the availabilities, they have the physical security, but you still have a lot of how are you going to control access. Um, there's no questions. AWS gives you every possible security configuration or setting you could want. You know, you look at S3 and there's 80 different ways to, and 80's exaggeration, but there's every different way to encrypt, every different way to audit, every different way to, to provide access controls to it. But the question is, are you doing it right? Um, it's just time and time again, I go to customers and I see somebody putting a network, uh, you know, what's a network share, an S3 bucket, that's the equivalent today, and just leaving it wide open to the button, uh, to the world. That is the, that's the part that's our responsibility. That's the part that we have to worry about is not doing dumb things like that. Um, I always say, I mean, so, so what's the biggest security hole in the world? It's humans, right? Humans are the ones that cause the security problems. They're the ones that misconfigure things. They're the ones that are vulnerable to, um, to social to social attacks. They're the ones that, you know, click on the phishing emails, things like that. So, you know, one of the best ways to, to lock down um, and, and to really uh, make your security better in the AWS uh, environment is really to take away as much of the management control uh, as the, uh, the management console as you can, right? I mean, if people are going in there and setting security settings within the console, they're usually doing it wrong. Right. I mean, really, one of the key tenets that makes the cloud so much secure, so much more secure than the data center is this idea of security automation. Automation fixes so much. The idea that you can repeatably deploy micro-segmented networks that are properly locked down. If you can automate that, that gives that raises the bar of security so so much higher. I mean. The, you know, in the old world, the problem was you had humans going around and configuring a Cisco router here and configuring a firewall there and going and setting permissions um, in, a, in, a in a file share, something like that. So we want to eliminate the, the humans out of the problems, and the key to that is security automation. So in a perfect world, everything you deploy in your environment should be all automated. And, you know, the security guy's task then becomes just reviewing that automation to make sure that you're, you're architecting it the right way. Uh, and once you have that done, then you can automate this and, and, uh, and do it repeatedly and not worry about the human, where if a human does something 20 times, one of those 20 times he's going to do it wrong. So you want to eliminate humans out of the equation, and that's, all, that's totally what security automation is about. Um, what's interesting as well is as I go around and talk with a lot of security people and, and DevOps and all these different teams, the one thing I've learned is that security people are really struggling with this new cloud world. 
Um, they, if you go to the RSA show um, and you talk to them about security for the cloud, it's still mostly private cloud for them. That's what they think security in the cloud is, is private cloud. Um, security automation, right? Security guys are not, don't do a lot of automation. They're not automation guys. You know who really get security these days? DevOps. The DevOps teams really get security. They do a great job of security because it's in your second nature as a DevOps person um, to, to do this security automation. The, the idea of being, making things repeatable, making things uh, much more secure that way. So, so what we're seeing is the security people are really struggling with how do I bring this uh, expertise? How do I understand how am I going to manage an AWS environment? Uh, whereas the DevOps, a lot of the responsibility is starting to fall onto the DevOps teams to secure this stuff properly. So, um, in the cloud, I mean, so all the principles of security don't change, right? I mean, there's just principles like you want to reduce your, sa uh, your, your surface area, re reduce the attack surface area. You know, that doesn't change. Just defense in depth, that doesn't change. None of these kind of, you know, the application level attacks, those things don't change. So you have to do those the same. Um, you know, so you still have to worry about somebody doing a cross-site scripting uh, uh, attack on your website, or you have to worry about SQL injection. You still have to patch things, and, and you know, so you, you don't want to just forget about patching and saying it's in the cloud, I don't need to patch it. You want to make sure you're patching still. We're going to go into a whole new set of challenges as well around how do I patch things. And, and again, just a little teaser, patching is so much easier in the cloud if you're doing things the cloud way. Right? If you're lifting and shifting, patching isn't going to be that much easier. But if you're doing things in this idea of, of reprovisioning workloads, applying patches becomes so much easier. So we'll get into that. But you, you still have to worry about these things. Um, the things that are somewhat different is, again, you have these ephemeral assets, right, that are gone. You have something that's running and then gone today or gone tomorrow. So um, what's one of the big challenges in security today if you if you read about the target attacks or any of the significant attacks that happen they're often what they call apts advanced persistent threats and what that means is somebody got a toehold onto one system in a network and then they had that for weeks if not months and then they eventually leveraged that to get a toehold into a second system and then they leveraged that to get into a third system and they eventually ended up getting to something that was sensitive so you know most attacks are not just simple Hey, I'm going to throw one packet at something and get your, your, uh, your most valuable uh, data, your credit card information, whatever it is, personal uh, PII. It's usually done through these advanced persistent threats where somebody gets into a network, they're sitting there for months. In targets, they were there for months and months and months. And so you had plenty of chance to be able to go find that and eliminate it. Uh, eliminate that threat. So um, now, what, how is that different in the cloud? I mean, so for instance, if I have a workload that's auto-scaling and ephemeral, if somebody does get a toehold into that, it's often gone, you know, in a, in, a, in a couple hours, right? So it actually makes it much uh, harder for an attacker to get a foothold, to get an ad advanced persistent APT and be effective and stay there for a long time. So that idea of auto-scaling um, is actually it makes it much harder for an attacker. I mean, the other thing is the attacker in that APT, right, the first thing he's gonna do is once he has a foothold, he's gonna start trying to map out your network. I mean, and, and he's gonna try to figure out, once he maps it, then he knows he, has, he can come up with a plan for his next level attack. So now, again, in a, in a, you know, in a world where everything's changing, uh, the idea of mapping it becomes that much harder. So, so again, these things are gonna make in a cloud environment an attacker's life that much more difficult. 
Um, the other thing is, again, network sniffing. You don't have that ability. So much of our security uh, knowledge, our, our security uh, infrastructure today that we use is all about how do I sniff packets and then how do I do you know, everything from behavior analysis to threat detection on it. Um, you don't have the ability to just hook something into the network and listen for it again. So, um, you know, so and we're going to talk about uh, VPC flow logs, which is a nice, nice feature that comes for free out of, or not for free, but comes out of AWS that will give you the ability to see who's connecting, but it still doesn't give you that deep packet content inspection. So we're doing things a lot different in the cloud. I mean, so, so the answer today really is a lot more of agent-based security. So the, the focus has changed from the idea of, I used to be I'd put network devices on there, and network devices would, would protect entire subnets or entire uh, networks. Um, that's become very hard to do because the idea is, you know, if I'm going to try to take a workload and put, put a device in front of it, it becomes a bottleneck for that device. Um, there's just all kinds of challenges. So the idea of putting inline devices that protect my workloads is, is much less feasible. So what we're seeing is really a focus much more on agents, people putting agents on boxes and that becoming your protection, protecting it right at the source. Um, that has good and bad, right? I mean, some of the challenges is how do I get an agent installed on 10,000 of my workers across my entire infrastructure? If you have 10,000 instances, that's very difficult to do. Whereas in the old world, if you could put five devices that sniffed all the traffic at egress and ingress points, it's much simpler to do. Um, but even, even the idea of putting things on the age, agents on the endpoints becomes challenging too because Again, so we always have to be thinking about what's going to happen in the next five years. What's going to happen next? Um, think about what, what, again, is a big hot topic? Serverless architectures, right? Serverless infrastructure. Uh, well, serverless infrastructure means we can't put an agent on it, right? So we have to start thinking again. You know, as, as much as we're just barely able to keep up with how do I rethink security in the cloud today, we have to start reinventing it again for tomorrow, too. Because once serverless architecture becomes standard, now what do I do? I, don't, I can't put an agent on there. Once, as, as dockers and containers become more mainstream, um, you know, the idea of putting an agent on some docker container that's going to be spun up for two minutes and, put, and, and then spun back down doesn't make as much sense, right? I mean, you know, the, the agent is really designed and, and the intention is to be, uh, be there for something that it's expecting to be there for days, weeks, whatever. So, so we really have to keep thinking proactively about this idea of agent security is where we are today. That's the best way to do it in the cloud, but it's not going to be the long-term strategy. Um, so so perimeter, your perimeter in the cloud, what was your perimeter? It, was, it used to be, again, the old world where you had a data center, you'd have firewalls on the external side, you'd have IPS and IDS devices. Um, to map out the perimeter, you'd use tools like Nmap, and you'd do port scans and ping sweeps, all of that. Right? So you can't do that in the AWS infrastructure for, for multiple reasons. I, I don't think even trying to do some of the ICMP stuff, the tricks that they use to map networks, probably doesn't even work based on how the, how, how the protocol works within AWS. But, I mean, the key is really it's against the terms of service, right? You just can't go out there, start flooding the network with packets uh, meant to do discovery because it's not your resources. These are not, these are not your assets. Um, you're sharing them with other people. So you have to rethink well, how am I going to do this, right? So um, 
the, the new concept is the idea is the whole world is now software-defined networking, or, or the AWS environment is software-defined networking. Infrastructure is code. What does this mean? This means that rather than physical devices that are routing my stuff, it's configuration options. It's, the, it's, it's, uh, it's those things that define what packets are allowed through, where devices sit, where resources are. So, so actually, software-defined networks make discoverability and mapping your network significantly more reliable, right? So that's a huge, huge advantage. I mean, the biggest problem with the old world, or one of the problems of the old world, was sometimes your mapping was highly inaccurate because some devices had, if, if something had a, uh, a blocked port, you might not even discover it, even though it was there. Um, so it was highly unreliable how you would do these, these network maps. In the, in the cloud, in the AWS environment, you have a very, very discrete list, and you, know, you can know exactly what resources are on this subnet. You can know exactly what packets are allowed through, in and out. Um, it's just, it's highly defined, so it makes it very, uh, it makes it very reliable to get a map. Now, the challenge is, is there's so many options, configuration, resources, um, that it's not as simple as just making one or two API calls. It's really, how do I tie all these API calls together to create a, a complete map of everything that's, uh, that's in my environment? You know, and you can see, you know, you want to do a network map. I mean, and a network map is the most important thing, because if you don't know where your resources are, you can't secure them. So first thing a security person needs to do is define, what does my network look like? Let me pull up a map. Uh, and use that to then make sure that I've locked down all my resources pr properly. So, you know, you have things like security groups, you have routing tables, you have network access control lists, you have VPCs and subnets, you have, you know, things that sit outside of the VPCs, S3 buckets, what permissions are on them, IAM policies. All these things defined together help you uh, actually map out or, or they actually are what is defining your infrastructure. So, so that perimeter is different. Um, but it's, it's definitely more reliable if you could pull it together. The, um, um, the other thing, so what's the, one of the other things that makes the cloud so much more secure is the idea of, you know, we could just kind of talk about the idea of putting firewalls in front of things is, is a little trickier in the cloud, right? So I think the firewall vendors really struggle with, because in the old world, they were sell firewalls all over the place. Now we're in these workloads. It's much harder to sell a firewall in front of each in front of each workload, and then, and then con configure it to route through that firewall and all that. But, you know, AWS actually provides a lot of the idea of micro-segmentation. Micro-segmentation gives us so much better security. By, by making micro-segmentation so much easier, uh, it really raises the bar on security. I can really create workloads that are very blocked off from everything else in, in a snap of a finger, right? Versus in the past, if I really wanted to create a micro-segmented network, I'd go buy physical devices and I'd buy a firewall and I'd go configure the firewall. And this would take weeks to do, right? So your micro-segmentation was a hard thing to do. In today's world with AWS, it's three or four API calls and you have a micro-segmented micro workload um, that you know is, is blocked off. You know, you could just simply turn it off, right? I mean, you can turn off, uh, remove the internet gateway, move any VP, uh, uh, VPN gateways, and you know that nothing can get to it, right? So it just makes it very easy to micro-segment your stuff, which really makes, that, uh, it makes it much more secure.
You know, and, and don't get me wrong, we're going to need work firewalls still. We're going to need firewalls in an appropriate place. We're going to need web application firewalls. We're going to need all these uh, type of things. Um, but we're just probably going to need them in different places. We're going to have to rethink how we put them in there. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to deal with that. But it's just not simply let me put a firewall in front of every workflow, uh, every workload out there. Um, so one of, the, one of the most important things for security in your AWS environment is understanding VPCs, right? That's the, one of the fundamental building blocks is, is what's a, a VPC. Uh, the VPC, I mean, and these been around. You, you could still have resources uh, in the old days. And, you know, if you look back four or five years ago, uh, before VPCs, resources just each sat out individually and were exposed to the Internet. And, and you could do things like not assign them IP addresses, create security groups on them that blocked it, but it, they were kind of individual islands upon their, uh, 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 to, their, to their selves. VPCs create that uh, subnet, create that block uh, that you can put resources in and define security around it. So by default, you have a VPC. Even if you don't know what a VPC is, there's one, all your resources are sitting in that VPC in a region, even if it's the default region. Um, now, they consist of, and I'm going to go through this a little bit because, actually, if you want to understand, you know, networking and AWS security, understanding the idea of VPCs will get you 80% of what you need to know. So I really, you know, go, push you to go really spend a little bit of time reading up on VPCs and trying to understand what are all these things around there. You know, so VPNs, or VPCs have Internet or VPN gateways. This is just a device that connects it either to your own VPN or the world. You know, it, within the VPC, it has subnets, and these are just, again, logical groupings of stuff. It has routing tables that define how to move the traffic around. It has access control lists that are, that are kind of like your firewall. I mean, they're very, uh, I don't want to say not sophisticated, but they're very basic firewalls. Um, you know, you have your security groups, which are kind of like uh, IP tables on each box. So you have security groups that are basically firewalls on the individual hosts. Uh, and then you have the resources that sit inside them. And there's five kind of resources. There's probably more than that today. Uh, it's hard to keep up, you guys know, with all the new things coming out. I know at least Amazon Workspaces can be in there. But, you know, not all resources go into VPCs, but the, the major ones do. If you understand this, this is, this, def this is what actually a VPC looks like. You can kind of see the outside. That's the AWS world. Within that is a region, or is a VPC. There's subnets within that. The routing table moves the stuff around. Um, you know, and how does things get to the outside world? So if you understand that, and, and you know, then you understand 80% of what you need to know about how to architect things in, in AWS, how to do security architecture, how to do uh, that kind of thing. So you know, those routers, those VPN, the VP uh, virtual private gateways, go understand those, and that will get you a long ways. Um, so, so network security in a VPC. So how do you do, there's two types of security, there's two levels of security you can do. Uh, network access control lists, are, and, and by security I mean network, uh, you know, how you can block packets or allow packets. There's two different ways, through network access control lists and through security group. Ne network access control lists, again, are, not again, uh, they, are, they are set on the subnet or the VPC level, so they're kind of the wide-reaching, they'll, they'll basically control what comes in and out of a VPC. Um, security groups are basically you define a set of rules and then you assign it to each of the servers, each of the instances, 
um, within, a, within a subnet or VPC. So they both accomplish the same thing, just in slightly different ways. And understanding the differences is important, because the subtleties can come back and bite you if you don't understand it. The vast majority of people do not use network access control lists. So um, they just, most people are using security groups at the, uh, at the instance level. So net, network access control lists are stateless. That means if uh, it doesn't remember connections, a connection that comes in, it doesn't remember when it goes back out, right? So when you make, if you want to set up an, a NACL to allow traffic in on port 80, that traffic when it returns back out, it doesn't go back out over port 80. It goes back out over some high port above about 500. And don't worry about the details, but it, it goes back out on a high port. So um, if you are, want to allow tra traffic over port 80 in or 443 in, then you basically have to allow, for that to work, you have to allow all high port traffic back out. So you basically have to create a rule in your network access control list that says everything above port 500, I'm just gonna let out, right? So you can see how this is problematic, right? It's uh, it just, because of the way that, that the IP protocol, or uh, the TCP protocol works, uh, it makes it very difficult to to do that very, uh, very intelligently. So, but the advantage of network access control lists is that you can set it one thing and it can apply to a thousand servers or it can apply to everything within that VPC or subnet. So, um, so that, that's much more powerful because the, you know, the problem with the security group is that you can go ahead and secure everything perfectly. You have a hundred instances in there and then somebody spins up one new box in there and does not set the security group properly. Then you've created that hole in the network. That one box has become the hole because you're not locking things down at the perimeter level. You're locking them down at the host level. So the right combination of both of these is the right, is, is the best way to do it, is figure out how do I do, typically if you do see somebody using knackles, is to do deny. So for instance, you might, you might actually see that they say, I only want, in this workload, I want nothing to come in other than port 443. And then I do have to allow the outbound. So that's, you know, you have to live with that, but at least you've blocked anyone from possibly connecting. If, if somebody spins up an instance that has a security group that's open on the RDP port, and you know that that's something you definitely don't want in your workload, then you can block that at the, at the network access control list. So, so I know that's a lot, but, uh, you know, security groups, they are stateful, right? So it's much actually easier to find those because if you define port 443, allow port 443 inbound on an instance through a security group, then you don't have to worry about the outbound, right? So it makes it much easier to actually define rules that mean something at a security group level. Um, so, and, and you could read up more on these. Again, these are critical things that you have to understand if you're gonna be security savvy in, in AWS, is understand these two, what's different, what are the subtle rules around them. Um, you also have to understand, well, how do IP, who's getting IPs and what does this mean to my security uh, as I set it up? So, and when you start up a resource, and, and the EC2 instance is the big one, when I, when I run it inside of a VPC, um, it gets an instance ID, it gets a friendly name, and it, and it also typically gets a private IP address, right? So the private IP address is typically something like a 192.168 or a 10.0. These are, these are things that are not routable across the internet. So if you define something and the only thing it has is that IP address, it can't actually 
reach anything, and nobody can reach it from the outside world. So it's fairly secure. Now, what it means is anyone else on the 10.0 network or the 192.168 network can talk to it as well. So you still have threat vectors, which are somebody taking over another server and then leapfrogging that to that server that's, that doesn't have a public IP. So don't think just because it doesn't have a public IP that it can't be attacked in any way. You still have to think through all those different factors. But, you know, but by default, most of your instances only have private IPs. They also, if you indicate, uh, and I don't know how, how to set it, but you can also tell it uh, to give it a public IP. And if you give it a public IP, then you're going to see an address like a 52 dot something or one of the well-known uh, AWS ranges, their public ranges. So that is more of an ephemeral IP address that if you reboot the box or you spin it down and spin it back up, um, it will be a different IP address. So just be aware of those are public IP addresses that are not really going to be associated with your organization, uh, but they can be vulnerable to, for instance, script kitties who are just randomly going out there and trying to, you know, attack everything that starts with a 5-2, right? And that's, that's, uh, that's more than likely what usually happens is script kitties is just have scripts that try to ping every IP out there that starts with 52 or starts with anything. And if they find something that's alive, then they start actually trying to do attacks on it and, and push it for more. So if you do have that one of those public IPs, it can be connected to uh, even, if you, even if you think, well, I haven't defined it or, or I, I haven't put it out there in the wild, it is you know, connectable to. Um, and then you have elastic IPs, which are these are the ones you define that stick around forever, and those are actually probably the most vulnerable because they're, they're long-lived, and that would be something more likely that somebody with, a, uh, with an agenda would, would go after that. So. Um, so how do I run vulnerability assessment in the cloud environment? So again, terms of service from AWS do not allow you to just take your tools and point them at an instance and start running the, your VA test because VA tests can be uh, damaging, right? And so if they, if they do something damaging to a box, it might hurt other tenants that are sharing the hardware with you. So it's just against terms of service for you to do these things um, without A, notifying uh, AWS filling out a form and doing all of that and defining where's this going to come from, when am I going to do it, you know, who's the contact information, and that's typically very hard to do, particularly if you're trying to run across wide uh, or large environments. Like, you know, filling out a form um, for, for 700 instances is not a simple task to do. So you really have to think about how do I do this? Are there ways to do this, um, you know, uh, using automation? Can I... and Again, if you're lifting and shifting, security doesn't get a big bump up. But if you're doing this idea of, uh, of, of using uh, workloads that auto-scale up and down, then what you could do is start to say, well, you know what, I have an image, and this image is what everything in my workload is based off of. Can I actually scan that image once in a test environment, look for all the vulnerabilities, discover them, fix them, patch them, whatever, and then save that as my image again. So, you know, the idea of can I scan an image and then consider everything that's running off that image uh, has been vulnerability assessed. Um, that's, a, that's a new way to think about it, is to use, use that kind of strategy rather than trying to say I'm going to scan every server in my workload that might be going away in four hours. So now then the question becomes how long between when a server is spun up and it drifts away from your original AMI. So for instance, if somebody can connect to that box and start browsing, 
um, and they can go to a, a, a vulnerable site and end up with some kind of browser-based exploit, then that immediately has drifted away from the army, right? So now that basically needs to be, uh, it needs to be tested again. So basically, when you, when you have armies, you need to come up with policies for how long before this army's up and running that it may, may drift away from what I consider a secure set, uh, set of, uh, of, of configurations. So these are the things you have to think through. There's no easy answer, and I'm not actually saying this is the answer, but you have to rethink. I, I'm not just going to look at an IP range and scan that and call that my VA test. I now have to think about what are my workloads, what are my armies, what am I scanning there? So. So patching strategies. Again, patching, if you're doing a lift and shift of your on-premise environment, then when a patch, when a new vulnerability comes out and you have to patch or a new patch comes out, then you've got to go to every box and patch it, right? That's no easier in the cloud. It's probably a little bit easier, but it's not fundamentally easier than what you did on-prem. Now, if you instead have re-architected your app so that I have workers that, are, that I can, I can reprovision or that uh, basically get rebuilt every day or, or when I need to, that becomes so much easier because now all I have to do is patch one server and that actually can get redeployed uh, everywhere. So the idea of this no patch strategy, stay away from patching live systems. We want to get away from lift and shift. Um, focus on patching the armies and the templates that are, have become the, the repository for these workloads. Though that's really what you need to protect and patch. And then when a new vulnerability hits, I mean, the idea, you know, in the old world, if you had a new vulnerability hit and you had 500 servers, you knew it was going to take a year to patch 500 servers, right? Now, today, if I can go and patch one server and with one automation script, one Jenkins script, you can go and redeploy those 500 servers, you can have your entire infrastructure patched in hours, right? So that's where the fundamental improvement in, the, in these type of, that's where, the secu that's where the cloud provides us much better fundamental security. So... Um, so this idea of this is what I like to, or Gartner actually named, the systematic workload reprovisioning. So the idea of being able to reprovision your workload will, will fix so many of the problems we have. I mean, so many of the vulnerabilities that we hit today are because of unpatched systems, systems with, with patches that have been available for, for a year, right? I mean, that is just the, that's the norm, right? And it's, it's embarrassing, but that's the truth of it is that, you know, we're not patching systems very well because we just don't have the resources and, and it's tricky, it's dangerous, all of that. So DevOps, the idea of if you've implemented DevOps processes and you're doing workload reprovisioning, that really fixes this problem and really effectively battles this advanced persistent threat idea. Um, so what, so as, we, as we look at VPCs, we understand VPCs now. We understand access control lists. We understand all of these things. What, what are we missing, right? The idea is that there's over 80 different AWS services, and there are probably 85 tomorrow. So uh, the, the IAM, IAM authentication is centralized. So access or authorization, or I'm sorry, authentication into AWS is very centralized. But... Many of the systems do have their own versions of authorization and access controls. And so even if you lock down one system, 
It doesn't necessarily, if you've locked that down perfectly, if you've locked down VPCs, you've locked down your EC2, it doesn't mean everything else is locked down. So you have to be aware of what are the other services that I need to lock down. Because you, if, you, if your security team audits all of your operating systems, but you left, left an S3 bucket wide open, then your security is, 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 is no good. So, so think about all the different services. Uh, think about all the different accounts. You probably have hundreds of AWS accounts in your environment. How do you lock down all of them? So, de so AWS is great because it decentralizes the responsibility, but it also, that creates, that has the two-edged sword because now, um, this for, particularly this is what scares the heck out of the security team is, all of a sudden now, all these hundreds of development teams are in control, total control of their own security. Right? That can be scary when you're responsible for security. So, again, this goes back to the idea of automation. If you can automate how all this stuff is done, then it's much easier for a security guy to look at hundreds of accounts, look at 80 different AWS services, and, and, and feel that he's, he's going to at least be able to fight the battle to keep that secured and locked down. So um, security breaches really only require that one weak link. So I like to talk about, make an analogy of, uh, and, and I'm sure with, you know, this, the Star Wars analogy with the Death Star scenario. And I always say, why the heck do they keep putting exhaust ports on every one of these Death Stars so that, uh, you know, one shot can blow it up, right? And that's what our security, that's how security actually works. I mean, the, the Empire is just another company just like us that has limited resources, um, has too much to do, and, you know, they, and they've locked, they've built this impenetrable thing, but all you need is one small hole and, and really locking down every single hole. All the rebel, all the attackers, the rebels have to do is find that one hole. It's so much easier to find that one hole than it is to lock down every single hole across the entire uh, environment. So this is what the, the hacker hopes. So, you know, it's just that our job as security people is so much harder than a hacker's job in terms of hacking. All he's got to do is find one hole. We have to lock down every single hole possible. So. Um, Um, so think about, so you've locked down all your EC2, your, your VPCs, um, RDS, again, RDS, uh, it's, a, it's a service that just listens on the database port, so they've already locked it down, so it can't be attacked on things like, you know, your SSH port or your Telnet port or things like that. Um, you, it has an option to make it publicly accessible. You should try not to do this. I mean, database is just not robust enough. They have too many security uh, kind of exploits in them that you should only, if you're going to turn this public accessible option on, make sure you restrict it to specific IP addresses. Make sure you're locking down the snapshots. Again, a, a hacker is going to realize you've locked down your RDS database so well that nobody will ever get that. So he's not going to try to go break that. He's going to go try to find a snapshot backup that you accidentally left from three months ago and you didn't realize that you, you left it out there uh, in, in, you know, and, and that becomes your weak link, is your snapshots, right? So, so think about your weak link. Always consider what are the weak links. The attacker's not going to attack the strongest part of your security. He's going to attack the weakest part. So um, S3. So Amazon, uh, you know, again, S3 sits outside of the VPC. And actually, they do have the ability these days to put VPC endpoints so you can only expose... So S3 endpoints can only be accessible from within your VPC. Um, so that's a good thing to do is, is that will secure you. 
uh, a bunch of the way, but most people still use it without VPC endpoints. And that, what that means is it's out there for the world. If I know your bucket name, I can go to my computer right now and try to connect to that, right? So it's publicly accessible. Now, the question is, did you set the security settings properly? And, and again, AWS has every security option you could ever want on this, everything from, you know, four levels of access controls, multiple types of encryption. It has support for HTTPS. It has server access logs, all of that. So um, the only thing you have to do is not go open it up to the whole world, right? And, and I know that's a small thing to do, and, and, but generally people just open it up, and they don't even think about it. They're like, well, um, I'm just going to open this up, and, I, you know, it's a... You know, let me give you an example. Um, you know, I put the HR manual out there, and I made it, I accidentally made it not just read to the world, but I made it read right to the world. Well, somebody, you know, the first thing most people say is, well, nobody cares, they're not stealing anything from you. But it becomes an attack vector, right? It becomes an attack vector because somebody could go download that file, it's a Word document, they put a macro virus in it, upload it again, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, Always think about being as paranoid as you can with security. Security guys are very paranoid, so, um, and for rightfully so, because don't think about, A, I don't think, what are the hackers going to do with that? Always say, I, I need to lock things down because I assume they're clever and will find some kind of attack vector from this. So don't ever grant full control, write ACP or write bucket permissions to everyone or authenticated users. Authenticated users is an interesting permission, right? You guys have heard of that. That basically means anyone out there who has an AWS account. So it doesn't mean authenticated users in your account. It means anyone across the entire AWS environment who's authenticated. So if, if I went and got a, a, a stolen credit card and a burner phone and created an, an account, then I could just use that to, to, to use as an authenticated user. So authenticated users is basically the same thing as everyone. Consider it the same thing as everyone. So... Um, so other services, Amazon SQS. Again, it doesn't live within a region. This doesn't have endpoints, but I suspect at some point you will have VPC endpoints for services like SQSQ and some of the other ones. But today, um, it's really a public uh, URL. And now the, the URL is, is actually fairly, it's not secure, but it's fairly obscure. It's very hard for hackers to guess, entirely guess what your URL looks like, because it typically has something like your, I think that, that number is top, probably your account, uh, your AWS account. So it becomes a little bit harder to guess what the name of the SQS is and what your account is. But, you know, again, I would suggest don't use obscurity as the basis for security, right? Obs obscurity is not security. You've got to remember, what's your biggest threat? Most likely your biggest threat is an insider threat. Right, so an insider threat, somebody who's in your organization that leaves, uh, is disgruntled, something like that, like a Snowden type of situation. So you have to understand that, um, you know, even though this looks like nobody could guess this URL, leaving it wide open is still a huge security hole. So you want to make sure, for instance, with SQS, um, you don't leave, you know, so, so you can set, I, uh, not IAM policy, but SQS policies that determine who can access this, whether it's a specific user or whether it's everyone. If you ever set this to anyone, to everyone, it's probably a bad idea. All kinds of, again, you know, you could say, well, what is somebody going to do with that SQS queue? There's all kinds of ideas like SQL injection and, and, and other, other type of attack vectors can happen here. So don't expose these to everyone. 
Uh, SNS, the same thing. Again, they have a they have their own um, policies outside of the standard IM policies. So you have to make sure that those none of those are set to everyone. If you go and look and you see everyone under both of these, it's almost always a bad idea. So, so go uh, go set those. Um, turn on AWS CloudTrail. So, I mean, again, that's very easy to do. It's really the, the click of a button. If you go into the console, turn it on. It's really your activity monitoring for everything that everybody does at the management control plane. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it, everything that goes through the AWS API, everything that goes to the console will get recorded here. And so this is very important to have, you know, the, it, you, the biggest problem with this used to be that you'd have to turn it on in every region, and people would only turn it on in the regions that uh, they were using. However, that's probably the worst idea because really the attacker is going to come in and do things that in other regions that you might not even suspect, and you want to find that unusual activity. So it used to be a little bit tricky. You'd have to go to every region and enable it. They've added a nice feature where you just turn it on with, in one place to go across region. So make sure if your account's uh, a year or more old, that old uh, older that you go and set this new option that says turn it on for all regions automatically. Because, you know, again, why was this a problem? Because they'd add a new region, the Canada region. When that comes online next month or hopefully, um, do you have to go back and enable CloudTrail for that? Do you have to go back and enable config and some of the other things for that? Um, you don't if you turn on this all region setting in CloudTrail. So, so definitely go do that. Uh, CloudWatch logs, uh, another nice feature that, that AWS has added. I mean, wh what's the challenge? So if you're, for instance, trying to, to be PCI compliant, let's say, and that requires you to, uh, to keep a record of your OS logs for X months, right? You know, and, and so how do you do that in an auto-scaling ephemeral environment where an, aud an auditor comes in and says, I want, can, show me your logs from this server from two weeks ago. And you look at them and say, well, that server was spun down and those logs are gone now, right? So that's, that's um, you have to be able to answer that question when they ask that question. So CloudWatch Logs is a great answer to this. It's basically you ship off all your logs from the operating system into one central repository, CloudWatch Logs, stores it there so that you can have access to it for whatever regulatory compliance uh, issues you need to do there. You know, the biggest question is volume of data. You need to be able to figure out how much of this data do I want to push? Do I want to push it all? That grows very dramatically, so you have to be careful with that. Uh, but you do, you do have this option for, for CloudWatch Logs. Uh, VPC flow logs, another very, very cool feature that AWS added about, I don't know, a year, a year and a half ago. I forgot exactly when, but it basically allows you, you know, the struggle with how do I monitor what's going on in the network, you know, and, and before they had VPC flow logs, you actually didn't even know if somebody was trying to get into your VPC and was getting rejected, right? That was kind of the scary thing was you had no visibility into is somebody trying to break in. So they've added VPC flow logs, which again takes the activity that's occurring at the VPC level and actually ships it into uh, your CloudWatch logs service. So the CloudWatch log service from the last slide. Um, this is great because you now at least can see, you can have total visibility into Who's trying to break in? Who's trying to access ports or IPs they, that you're blocking specifically so that you at least know about it? And sometimes there's not a lot you can do about it. If, the, if people on the Internet are trying to do that, what are you going to do? But at least you know what they're doing. 
Um, if you're seeing that internal IPs that are trying, or internal ports that are trying to access each other and getting rejected, then, then you actually have uh, a bit more concern, and that's where the bells and whistles start to go off, and you say, something, something's wrong here. So, um, so definitely monitor for deny connections, even if you don't do anything else. Uh, monitor for deny connections at the very least at your VPC flow log levels. Um, so, uh, so you're going to need tools to help you do this. So the services that come with AWS are very powerful. There's a lot of capabilities there. Uh, but you may need to look at other tools, uh, tools that understand the cloud. Um, you know, a lot of the old tools, like I said, a lot of the firewall vendors, the IDS vendors are really struggling with how do I fit into this new world. So a lot of these generic tools are falling short. So make sure you look for people that understand are purpose-built for the cloud. You know, go look for the security competency from AWS. AWS has really done some very smart stuff by putting out secure, all different competencies so when you go to use a service, you can tell that it actually is going to work in this environment. So, uh, so and, and understand tools that need a deep understanding of AWS context, how do I do actionable intelligence? So, you know, Cloud Checker is, the, is, is uh, my company. Uh, we do monitoring, reporting, and optimization across cost and security. Um, so we have a booth here. So come tonight to the booth. Uh, we'd love to talk to you more uh, and show you a little bit what we have. But these are the ideas of visibility, optimization, analysis, control, governance. All those are things that can help you as you, as you spin up in the cloud. So... Questions. There are two, there are actually two mics down here and two up top, and I can't see very well because of the light, so uh, if I see somebody have any questions, I can't tell if people have questions or not. Uh, thank you for coming, but I'll take the questions. Remember to complete your evaluation forms as well, if you liked it. If you didn't like it, don't fill them out. <laughs>